guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks guys, now enjoy the show. The Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. Welcome back to Mimosa Sisterhood Podcast. This is your host, Melissa. And if you're new here, we love women and we love wine and we love celebrating both of those things at the exact same time. Oh my God, I think I just made up a rhyme. Corny, corny. I know. I'm sorry. Anyway, we are back for another Everyday Woman series where we get to talk to a real life human that is kicking ass in taking names in today's world. And I have the greatest guest for today's episode. She found me out in the World Wide Web. And the minute I got her email, I was like, holy shit, this is exactly what I want to feature on my podcast, particularly because I have a very special connection to this woman's story. So today I'm introducing you to Lori Kimmerly, and she is a feminist coach, and she has the craziest story to tell you about her life, which I will let you listen to straight out of her mouth during today's episode. But she's going to talk a lot about the divine feminine and navigating your sexuality as a woman while also navigating your spirituality and staying true to your religion. It's very complicated. And the reason why I was so excited about having her on the podcast and having her share her story with all of you today is because I am somebody who grew up in a Catholic environment. I went to Catholic school my entire life since I was in kindergarten all the way through high school. And I definitely experienced some things within my own personal life that I felt did not set me up for success as an adult who is having boyfriends and navigating dating and relationships. And I often felt that because religion was so heavily a part of my everyday life, it often meant that sex was never discussed, dating wasn't allowed, and I grew up in a household where it was really like, don't ask, don't tell. And with that, I felt very uncomfortable in that I couldn't talk about issues in my relationships. I couldn't talk about losing my virginity. I couldn't talk about sex, dating, what's healthy and what isn't when you're 16 years old and have your first boyfriend. It was very taboo in my house. And therefore, I bottled everything up. I kept secrets and I went through some really fucked up things in my teen years. And it did not pave a very pleasant road for me down the line. And I... I can't help but associate this to having grown up in such a traditional conservative environment where 
I wasn't really empowered to be vocal about any of these things. In fact, it was more shameful. It was, I was taught to keep it a secret, keep it to myself. And that really backfired in my life. And so when I got to college, I rebelled against that. I explored my sexuality. I dated around. I studied sex in college. Almost every single class that I took within my major was related to sexuality, whether that was human sexuality, gender identity, LGBT history, art, culture, literature, trans issues. I did literally all of it. I took an AIDS epidemic class where I was the only heterosexual woman surrounded by all gay men with AIDS in San Francisco's Castro district. I threw myself in this shit because I wanted to learn every single thing about it and I wanted to feel empowered as I learned, as I grew, as I developed, as I healed my own past hardships around sexuality and the way that I understood it within my own personal life. And so this stuff is really important to me because I absolutely 100% believe that if I had not been raised in a traditional conservative environment that shamed sexuality, that shamed dating and relationships, I wouldn't have gone through such hardship during my teenage years. I wouldn't probably had succumbed to so much pressure at such a young age. And I wouldn't have invested so many years of my life into teenage boys that legitimately were abusive. But because these were things I wasn't able to talk about in my school, in my household, I just kept going through it. So this conversation with Lori Kimberly is everything that I have ever wanted (laughs) in my life. And I really hope that it brings value to people who grew up in a similar environment as myself or maybe even Lori and felt that they had to hide their sexuality or feel shameful or guilty about engaging in sex. I think these are things that are so normal to humankind, but every person handles them very differently due to culture, gender, sexual orientation, religion. So many different factors can play a role in the way that we understand sex or experience sex. And so Lori has an amazing perspective and I'm just so excited for you to hear her. So without further ado, welcome Lori Kimberly. Welcome to the show, Lori. I'm so excited. I've been so excited to talk to you for weeks and you're here and we're doing it and welcome. Hi, I'm so excited to be here too. I I mean, I have my wine. I'm ready to go. I'm yes. ready to have a good conversation. So this is going to be, this is going to be great. Well, let's start off with the most important information is what are you drinking? Oh, okay. So I found a $3.99 wine. Yes. And it tastes just like $3.99 wine. 
So perfect. So it's maybe like not the best, but like we're doing it and we don't care. Yeah, that's kind of what's happening right now. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, it's doing it. It, it tastes good. I, what I my philosophy about cheap wine is that I drink cheap wine so that when somebody gives me a twenty dollar wine or a thirty dollar wine, mm-hmm. I think I'm drinking something that is insanely delicious because you know I've never tasted anything so smooth and beautiful in my life that's amazing and I love that philosophy and I also feel like it's worth mentioning that in my next episode that's coming out next Thursday I'm like ecstatic to tell everybody about this extremely expensive bottle of wine that I got for the first time ever and it's only at a whopping $15 so I think you know where I stand on (laughs) wine budget (laughs) I deeply respect that and you know something else that's funny um, that just kind of cracked me up and came to my mind is my grandmother was a huge wine drinker. And when she passed away, we like went through her house and, you know, had to like figure out what to do with her things. And so I took a lot of her stuff. And one of the things that I took was this like wire wine glass. Um, it was like shaped like a wine glass and you can put things in it. And she had put all of her old like corks from wine bottles that she'd drink in. And I was like, of course I'm taking this. I'm going to put it in my kitchen. But it wasn't until like a couple weeks ago that I looked at the wine corks and they were all Charles Shaw, like two buck Chuck Trader Joe's. (laughs) 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 And I just started dying laughing. I was like, yes, grandma. I love that you were saving your two buck Chuck wine corks. That is incredible. (laughs) Yeah. So classy runs in the family. I think that that's so important. I mean, we just savor every single glass. Right? Oh, so funny. Well, I love that you're drinking. Wait, so what is the wine called that you're drinking? I think I missed that. Uh, Okay, so I'm in Puerto Rico right now. I'm a nomad, so I travel. Oh, my God. So I'm I'm in Puerto Rico right now, so I'm going to butcher this. But I think it is Punta Real. It's a Tempranillo. Great. I don't know. We love it. I don't know. If anyone's listening in Puerto Rico, you're probably like, that's not what it's called. And that's crappy wine. It is. That is so cool. Well, I definitely want to get into the nomad stuff very soon. Okay. To tell you about what I'm drinking, it's still a bit early for me over here on the West Coast of the U.S., and so I just like finally retired my coffee and Bailey's and I'm like, I have a recording later, so I can't get too wild with it. So I am drinking a seltzer, which I feel like is like the perfect afternoon beverage perfect. and keeping it on brand with the bubbles. But have you ever heard of Golden Road, the brewing company? No. They're they're typically like just like a beer brewery and I I have drinking so many of their beers. I've covered so many of them on the podcast and they recently came out with a seltzer since seltzers are just like booming right now. So I got it and so I'm drinking a cucumber lime hard seltzer and it is absolutely phenomenal and I highly recommend. It is so refreshing, it's so good. But I've had a couple, it comes with, you know, like four different flavors for a pack. And this is by far my favorite. Not super, like not super sweet, very citrusy, very refreshing. It's kind of just like drinking a cucumber lime water, but with like Mm. a kick. So it is so good. Um, But I have tried a couple of the other flavors. They're a little bit too fruity for me, but this one is on point. And then I have a backup mango in case I finish the first one. Before the episode ends. So, you know what? It's a great Saturday afternoon. (laughs) 
Okay, well, I would love for you to just start off by telling everybody who you are, where you're from, what you're doing right now in Puerto Rico, and then, of course, your life's mission and goal and the whole reason why I'm chatting with you today on the podcast, which I am absolutely ecstatic for. Okay, so my name is Lori Kimmerly. I run LoriKimmerly.com, which is my entire mission is basically you can find it on there. And it is about bringing forward the voices of the divine feminine within the dominant Western religions. So I am focused on disrupting patriarchal structures within dominant religions and we basically, we have the entire understanding of who God is that's been given to us for 2,000 plus years, predominantly through the lens of men. And we also have 2,000 years of our grandmother's traditions, of our mother's traditions, of honoring the sacred in a way that is not oppressive to them, but highly liberating. And so I want to pull forward those voices I want to honor the voices of women today who are currently speaking out about patriarchal structures, racism, homophobia within the church. And I want to honor the femininity of the divine that exists within dominant Western religions. So how we can see God within the feminine. So that is what I do on my website and in my programs. so loaded with so many incredible topics that we get to talk about today. I feel like you're the first person I've ever met that's like tackling this specific topic. And maybe there are others, but I just haven't crossed paths with them in my own life. But I just so the listeners know when you and I did cross paths and I learned more about your background and your mission, I was particularly drawn to it because I was raised in a Catholic conservative upbringing and my my family wasn't like hardcore Catholics like we did go to church and stuff like that but I I went to Catholic schools my whole life uh, until I went to college and so I was very familiar with that kind of structured lifestyle and teachings and I just remember from a young age like not connecting with it at all. And then later in my adulthood, after like I really developed as a woman and like started experiencing my own sexuality and my own relationships, I started recognizing how like a lot of the things I went through could have been better prevented had I not been brought up in this like strict Catholic environment. And so I, as an adult, have basically become pretty much like non-religious at all. And I don't think it's so much about not being spiritual because I am a spiritual person, but I really struggle with like religious organizations and being a part of one of them for this particular reason. And also everything I did in college had religion very much tied to it, which we can get into later. But um, that's why I've been so excited to talk to you because I personally, in my own life, have never met somebody that I can like talk to about these things or bounce my ideas off or my experiences. And you are such an expert in it that I was like, oh my God, I cannot wait for this. I cannot wait to meet you. And I'm just so excited to have my mind blown during Ooh, this I'm entire excited. episode. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yes. Okay. So what are you doing in Puerto Rico? How did you end up there? So I'm a nomad. So I travel. I don't have like a, a permanent home. And so when COVID hit, I was hiding out in Boston 
And that's where I was for the most part. That's where I went to theology school. So I was finishing up my theology degree, but the plan had been pre, pre the existence of COVID was to move to Italy and do work in Italy. Obviously, I wasn't able to do that right away after finishing school. No. So I was hanging out and trying to figure what, out what I could do, where I should go. And I found out that Barbados was really safe. They had very little COVID and they had a, quarant- a required quarantine to be able to go there, which mm-hmm. felt really safe to me. So I moved to Barbados. I was there for a bit. I was with my boyfriend. And then we decided for various reasons to go to Miami. He has family in Miami. So we went and visited Miami for a little bit. And then uh, COVID's been handled really well in Puerto Rico. I mean, I think it's, it was, a, you know, I won't go into like the details about the handling of COVID-19 by various yeah. different countries. Yeah. But totally. um, one of the great things about warm climates has been that you can be outside mm-hmm. and the spread is less. So, you know, wearing masks and all those things. And, and we're, we're right now basically focused on countries that require masks Mm-hmm. and require tests and things like that. So mm-hmm. I'm in Puerto Rico living my best life. Yes. So, uh, that's that's what I'm doing. I'm happier in warm weather. I'm happier mm-hmm. where there's palm trees. I'm happier where I can sit on the beach. So that's my current requirement for where I mm-hmm. am until I can get into Italy. And then once I'm allowed in Italy, then it's going to be a lot of, and we'll probably talk more about things like this, but more exploring mm-hmm. The divine feminine in traditional mm-hmm. Italian practices and um, and going to sacred women's sites and exploring and doing research and preparing for a program that I plan on doing in Italy when awesome. I can bring a group of women over there. So yeah. Love it. So are you meeting a lot of people currently in Puerto Rico and like spreading your messages with them or like getting into conversations with people in Puerto Rico or anything like that now or is it still kind of closed off because of the sensitivity around the pandemic not entirely so there's mm-hmm. I, my understanding is it feels like in Puerto Rico a lot like what it was like in Boston in the summertime mm-hmm. so restaurants are, are outside we yeah. have to wear masks everywhere um they are like I get a text message every day checking in about my symptoms and things like that but other than that it's not super yeah it's not super um I don't feel limited I am right now so I've only been here a week so I haven't Mm -hmm. done a lot of the divine feminine research that I want to do Mm -hmm. but there is a place um south of where I am I'm in Aguadilla south of where I am where there was um, a Mary appearance and there's a there's a statue and a cathedral to Mary so I want to go there there is also uh, the indigenous people of Puerto Rico had a goddess named Atabi, and there's a, a couple goddesses that they had, and there's still some locations that are available to go visit. So I plan on going to those places as well, and mostly just trying un- to understand how the people who still honor those images of the divine feminine understand that image mm-hmm. as best I can. Um, and learn more about, you know, what it means to honor the divine feminine for those people. Yeah. Wow, that is so cool. Okay, so to backtrack just a little bit, Mm -hmm. um, I imagine you're from the United States, from the East Coast? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I imagine you probably grew up, like, with some more 
not conservative, but traditional values in life. So was there anything particular that like led you down this nomad path or any like kind of event that occurred or person you met, mentor you had that sort of sparked this interest in exploring the feminine divine? Well, I was raised in a fundamentalist evangelical home. Oh, whoa. So I was taught <laughs> that being a woman and and religion. So um, my parents are probably a little bit more liberal than that. But that's not mm-hmm. that's not saying very much. Right. Mm-hmm. We went through stints where we weren't allowed to like listen to any non-Christian music and, um, you know, could only like had to like we were only able to read like Christian novels and and things like that or the Bible. So back and forth. But my uh I was raised that being a woman meant being a virgin until you got married and then when you get married being a submissive wife. So I'd say the thing that sparked there's so many things that I could dive into that sparked this, but I would say that I I feel like I had a calling from the divine feminine from a very young age mm-hmm. and that I knew that God was love, but the God mm-hmm. I was being told about was not love. And I felt like I knew love. I'd experienced love. I felt very loved by my parents. I felt love in multiple different spaces, but the God that they were talking about was not love. This is the God that sends you to hell for making the wrong move and, mm-hmm. and is angry and jealous. That wasn't, that, I knew, that wasn't love. Mm-hmm. And so I think I sort of had this moment where I decided either that dude in a white robe that wants to send me to hell for the wrong <laughs> move isn't God yeah, or isn't love and therefore isn't love. And, or that is God and everyone's wrong about that dude in white and those like mm-hmm. nasty rumors about him and I'm putting that in air quotes being evil and wrong is mm-hmm. is is bullshit yeah so at that moment that's when I think I started really owning my spirituality and not kind of looking to have it fit into what was being offered to me mm-hmm. and there are a lot of things I did that still fit into those molds of what a good Christian woman was. But I was, there was a tension there. So, I mean, I was a virgin until I got married. I got married when I was 21. I was a junior in college to a man who was going to be a pastor. I was the good, perfect future pastor's wife. I taught, I studied theater in college. So I taught after school theater at a Christian school where he was the chaplain and I just, it was just this perfect, happy image. And I, then I taught in elementary schools. And when he went to seminary, I think that that was my break. When I was like, I felt that I was living in one life that was calling me towards what I say is the divine feminine, this divinity of mother, love, goodness, kindness, embracing. And I was participating in a religion that was saying, there's a mold that you have to fit into. Mm -hmm. and I I broke and so I I mean in terms of mentors I started following I started taking classes with a woman named Regina Thomas Hauer who runs Mm -hmm. the school of the womanly arts some people call her mama Gina and it's like a community about like the sacredness of pussy and that was my (laughs) and so here I am like my husband's training to be a pastor and I'm driving down to New York City like dancing around naked with women like <laughs> did 
no. celebrating my pussy. He did. He did. I think he was very confused. Um, and that went on. And so then that led me to get my master's in theater education where I studied oppressive systems and did my research mm-hmm. specifically in uh, bi- b- biblical narratives, I'm sorry, religious narratives, and how we tell stories to women and how that leads to patriarchal systems. So that's what I did my research on. And then I got a master's in theological studies focused on feminist theology and that and erotic spirituality. And mm-hmm. so that was about how do we take the narratives of what a woman's supposed to be and how do we bust that open? Yeah. And how do we live in a liberating world? In between all that, I got a divorce, lived as a single woman, um, experienced my own relationship with my sexuality. Mm-hmm. And there are so many women who have taught me, Kasha Ur- Urbaniak, I'm not, probably not pronouncing her name right. She runs the Academy about mm-hmm. power dynamics. She's been really useful. Gail Burton, my advisor at Emerson, was amazing. Audra Lord has been a really powerful source for me. Um, Ivana Gabara, who's a womanist, not a womanist, a Chicana feminist theologian. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's just so I think that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of women who I've read that have been useful to me as mentors. Yeah. But then I would also say like the women in my life, mm-hmm. like the my sisters. Like my, yeah. my two older sisters, but then also my like chosen sisters, the women who I call at three o'clock in the morning when I'm crying. Yeah. Like those women have been my mentors yeah. too. Like, yeah. So what was that experience like walking away from this life that was paved for you? One that your family was closely tied into your husband. Like, did you get a lot of pushback from that? Was it difficult to break those ties? And did you struggle with like, relationship dynamics after you did go your own way well I'm a Libra Mm -hmm. and so I know we talked a little bit about that but I love making everyone happy Uh uh-huh and so I walked that I walked that thin line for a really really long time Mm -hmm. um I and and I will so I will say this so what I ended up realizing as I was exploring the sacredness of pussy and studying feminism and all these things was I had to make it work within the Christian mold. That was almost with the, the, my Libra self. Like it, if this is going to work, it has to balance in the scales. Mm-hmm. So, but to me, I didn't see anything that contradicted what I was being told because if God is love, then God loves women. And if God is love, then and if God is the creator, then God is a pussy in the sky. Like, we are all created through the divine. And so we're birthed from God. Like, that just sounds like another creation narrative to me. Mm-hmm. And so my solution to things and to that tension or seeming contradictions is to read more yep. and to study more. So that what ended up happening was people would say, well, how does that fit into Christianity? And I would be like, let me tell you what books I've read. Mm -hmm. And then I would like break it down. And so I had the verses in the Bible to back up what I was doing. I had the theologians. I had the church tradition and the church history to back up everything I was doing. So while it made like my parents uncomfortable and it might have made some people in religious spaces like, I don't really want to talk to Lori about this. Mm hmm. To me, it wasn't contradicting it. Yeah. When, 
And I was really good at trying to keep everything together. And so I just posted on Instagram yesterday about uh, this this goddess that uh, like demands you, like demands to eat you alive. And you can either mm-hmm. run away from her or you can turn around and you can say like, fine, eat me. But like either way, she's taking you. Mm-hmm. And like the best way to go is the path of least resistance. So I just really resisted her like really yeah. well. Yeah. Um, which I think is what ended up leading to the end of my marriage uh-huh. because I I was – what I should have done in hindsight was be like, look, I'm going in this direction. You can either run with me or you can stay here. And I didn't. I was like, we're going to make this work. We're going to make it work. Yeah. And it just yeah. fell apart. So that's, I mean, I don't know if that directly answers what it was like, mm-hmm. but what yeah. it was like was me trying to dance together until the goddess blew up my life. Yeah, totally. And said, put it back together now. Oh my gosh. You know, it, it reminds me of like when I went away to college, I was from Southern California, Long Beach, California, and I moved up to San Francisco at 17. I was still 17 when I got there. I turned 18 shortly later. Um, but I mean, that was the first time in my life I was away from my family, away from the religion, away from this life that had been sort of molded for me, following the rules, not making anybody upset, making sure I wasn't getting in trouble. Um, and I was just like, I, I kind of, uh, think of it as like I was like an a zoo animal finally let out of the cage and that's really what happened I hit the city running and I went crazy and I it doesn't surprise me because I was very closed in for so much of my youth where I didn't feel like I could be my authentic self or I I didn't want to upset anybody or hurt anybody's feelings by like being authentic and um I spent a lot of my youth keeping secrets and sneaking around so that my parents wouldn't find out what I was up to. And so finally, I was free to just be me. Nobody there could judge me. Nobody had an unbiased opinion. It was just like let loose. And I definitely went wild for several years. And, you know, my dad, I remember the first time that I came home to visit, which was maybe like an entire year later. It was a long time. And I remember my dad even still says this today. I've been I've it's been years, but he'll say, you know, The Melissa that went away to college is not the Melissa that came home. And he says that in a sad way. (laughs) Like, Mm. it's not a it's not a happy thing. It's a very, like, heartbroken thing. And I remember one of the times that I came home from college, I was at my parents' house. Me and my dad were outside. It was nighttime. We're having cocktails on the patio. And I don't know how this happened, but I got into this, like, in-depth conversation about the AIDS epidemic. And it had been something I'd been studying and I was like so involved in it and I was so deep into it and I was so passionate about it and I was just trying to explain to him all these things and it like meant so much to me and I remember the look on his face was just like speechless like he didn't know how to engage he didn't understand like why I cared so much he was like confused that I had left a child and come back this adult that cared about the AIDS epidemic something that occurred before I was even alive you know what I mean and um he just explains that as this moment where like I left a child came back a woman but I just was never the same person again and to me I love the person that I became but to my family it was scary And I think I'm still that person today. I'm kind of this loose cannon of like, what is she going to do next? You know, and I really didn't end up following this path that they had hoped I'd followed. But I ended up in a path that was so much better suited for who I needed to become and who I'd been striving to become as a child. 
And so it's such a risk. It's such a scary thing to do. And, you know, I never wanted to hurt my parents, but I also knew I needed to do what was right for me. And yeah, it's hard, but it's a leap that's worth taking because look at where you're at today. Look at where I'm at today. So now I can just breathe easy. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yes. And I think so many women have these moments where we're like, what I was raised with is is bullshit. Like, and we don't always necessarily know what to do with it next. Mm-hmm. Because it's, do I just throw out the existence of God entirely? Mm-hmm. Do I abandon all of this? And what I find is that we often walk away from whatever it is we were raised in, which can be a really good thing. Mm-hmm. But then we lose out on some of the richness that they weren't teaching behind the pulpit. Mm -hmm. That they're not talking about. Like, nobody's talking about, like, the ways that women in rural Italy worship Mary as in ways that mirror the same ways they worshipped Isis or Chabella. Oh, wow. And, like, no, we're not, like, your priest is never going to get behind the pulpit and be like, let's talk about the mirrors of the life, death, and resurrection as seen in the goddess Persephone. Mm -hmm. They're not going to talk about that. Mm -mm. But it's talked about in theology school. It comes up in the corners. Uh, like, I, I know priests that I could bring that up to, and they're yeah. like, yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Wow. And they're not going to talk about it, though, because it upsets the institution. Because mm-hmm. playing with that idea, just playing with it, is a game you do in the academy. It's not, it's not a game we trust the women, especially, or the laity to be able to play. But yeah. it's a game we're already playing. We just don't have the tools for it. Mm-hmm. So... That's what I do in my programs yeah. is I give us the tools so we can play with those questions. Like, let, yeah, let's talk about AIDS. Let's talk about what happened. Let's talk about mm-hmm. the injustices and let's wrestle with it. Let's deal mm-hmm. with it. Because that's not just a Christian issue as well. That's also a nation issue. Oh, yeah. We need to battle 100%. it, right? Yeah. We can't be afraid of homosexuality. Mm-mm. It's real. It exists. It's not going away either. <laughs> it's not going away. <laughs> Um, I'm super curious about theology school. So one thing I'm Mm -hmm. wondering is like for someone, you know, who isn't familiar with it. And I'm, I'm also, I've really separated myself from religion a lot. So I'm very far removed, but in my opinion, I would imagine theology school would be heavily attended by very religious, traditional people. Did you find other people like yourself there? Like, or what would you say that percentage was of like the traditional religious person and then the one that was really there to learn more and kind of go against the grain so to speak yeah so it's a really it's a really good question and it's a really hard one to just say it's this or this Mm -hmm. so I went to Boston College Mm -hmm. and so I was studying with a lot of people who were Jesuits or preparing for ordination and like a couple like Franciscans and like other monastic orders drizzled in there then there was also people who I went when I was 31 so I was Mm -hmm. older than a lot of the non-monastic people who went or lay people who went who were right out of college which is typical for people going to theology school so I was older than the non-monastic people but I was the same age as most Mm -hmm. of the monastic people so I spent most of my time becoming friends with Jesuits and monks Mm -hmm. so which was great and what I think is, is that there's a difference between a conservative person who 
conservatives who are not monastic and conservatives who are. Mm -hmm. And I was able to have some of the more radical quote unquote conversations with Jesuits that were like totally down with playing around with these ideas and thinking Mm -hmm. about them that versus non-Jesuits who I think just really struggled with it because I think that there's, well, A, I think there's something that happens when you've reached 30 where you're like, this is what I think and like, I don't really care. Whereas I think when you're younger, it's like, no, this needs to be true, right? Uh So there's that that I think that they were dealing with. But also I think that I found that even when I was talking to someone who was very conservative, who did not believe in the ordination of women, who would shudder at my, knew I was dating and like having sex and all that Mm -hmm. stuff, but did not approve, they didn't really, like, they weren't as shocked or afraid to engage with me in these real questions because they saw them as real and raw. Mm-hmm. That's what I, my experience in theology school was, was just a lot of people who were interested in the questions, not necessarily agreeing with their conclusions that I made, but finding the questions really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't experience a lot of judgment by the Jesuits and and the Franciscans. Yeah. I did experience more judgment by the non-religious people. Like, and by non-religious, I mean that in the Catholic sense, like non-ordered. Yes. Um, So I felt a lot more judgment from them because they didn't really know what to do with me. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah. I was divorced. Yeah. I was single. I was a woman. I was loud. Yeah. Like, I would say things that they would go, <gasps> and then, yeah. like, one of the brothers was like, that's a really interesting argument, Lori. And they'd be like, what? No. Like, <laughs> you're supposed to tell her she's going to hell. Yeah. Um, wow. What an so insane that's an experience. Like. But that's not true for every person who's been to Boston College. And that's yes, not of true course. for every seminary. Mm-hmm. I think the combination of my age, the fact that I was already divorced, I had already gone through my 20s and like all the bullshit. Like patriarchy has served me so much bullshit that I was like, oh no, you don't think women should be ordained? Shocker. Yeah. Like I just didn't, like there was a lot I wasn't interested in entertaining and I think that mm-hmm. protected me a lot too. Totally. Um, I'm just curious because we've, I have covered this woman on the podcast in my history segment. Did you do any, did they teach anything about Lilith in theology? No. No, there's certain topics that will not be, <laughs> there's certain topics that you can discuss in a paper, which mm-hmm. they will not be le- in a, mentioned in a lecture. So okay. I didn't actually write anything on Lilith either. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, no, she didn't, she didn't necessarily come up. She's also not part of Catholic tradition. Oh, really? She's, yeah. Well, so yeah, because she she's might, kind of, um, she's kind of just like, cre- like sort of, shown as this like demon person so to speak that screwed everything up yeah she's not in the bible she might be in some she might be in some esoteric texts so Mm -hmm. there might be some some like part quote-unquote part of tradition but not part of uh like religion or like Mm -hmm. catechist or like revelation in the catholic church that's about lilith so she's much more mythical yeah, totally. Um, I think in regards to that, um, I think that she's cool. I like her a lot. I don't um, – I think of – I when, for my in my personal cosmology, I think of her as another goddess. Mm-hmm, and totally. I think that that's where she fits in for me. Um, yeah, I think her stories about her are fascinating because she's been kind of taken in so many different directions oh, as a yeah. source of liberation but also like – 
I think feminists take her and just run with her and match her to all of our desires mm-hmm. that it's just really fascinating to see what we've done with her. So. Yeah, absolutely. So cool. Um, well, there was something that I had read on your website that I wanted you to speak more to because it really yeah. just like stuck out to me. And I was like, oh, this is very interesting. I need to know more about it. And you had written in like one of your bullet points of like your beliefs that you believe a woman's desire is her root of her connection to God. Yeah. And like, I can't even like fathom what that means because I'm like my desire, God, how are those like in what way is that correlated? Is desire like in your opinion sexuality or is desire just like desire for life and love and experience? Like how would you explain this to me and my audience? It's all of it. Yeah. So desire, whatever it is you desire, whatever a good fuck or a good (laughs) cup of coffee. Uh Whatever you desire is the interface between you and that which is greater than you. It is the drop of genius that the divine is placing in you towards something great and something good in life. And life is good. From a Christian perspective, everything that God made is good. So sex is good and coffee is good. If from a more pagan perspective, it's good too. Mm-hmm. So all things that we desire are pointing us towards that which is greater than us, mm-hmm. what is possible. Uh, if I think we are often told that our desires are selfish, that if you want something, you have to check in with everyone else in your world and your community to make sure it's going to fit into their wants and needs too, that it's going to also make them happy. Yeah. Um, But our desire is part of what's taking us and the people who are willing to join us on the wild ride of of life. Totally. So for me, it is essential to our connection to God because when we deny our desires, we're denying God. Mm -hmm. And so when I think of desire, I think of the book of Song of Songs. Are you familiar with Song of Songs? No. So everyone just go ahead and open your Bible to Song of Songs. It's a hot, steamy romance novel. Really? Um, Yeah. It's great. (laughs) And the two people in Song of Songs are not married. um, And they're having sex. And they – it talks about them like – yearning for one another and a, and like this deep, passionate, gorgeous way. And a lot of monastics would read Song of Songs and see it as their relationship with God so that they had this deep yearning for the divine. Uh-huh. And this is what the erotic is. The erotic is our yearning. And so I break that out and I say like, well, sure, if I'm yearning for a good cup of coffee, what is that but yearning towards God? What is that but yearning towards something greater? Because that is the richness of, of life. And if we're mm-hmm. living the richness of life, we are honoring the divine. Mm-hmm. So if totally. I'm yearning for good sex, I mean, what is an orgasm besides a celebration of God? So great. Like go dive in and have all the great sex you want because that's part of our yearning for something more beautiful and richer and amazing in life. Mm-hmm. We're enjoying the goodness and pleasures that, that are available to us in life. Yeah. Wow. So I guess I'm wondering, like, when you can have this perspective, when somebody who is, like, raised in a very religious environment, you know, was married to a religious man, read the Bible, went to theology school, and you're capable of having these, like, more radical 
perspectives like how when you backtrack in history how did we end up with such a closed-minded perspective to all these teachings like how did it become patriarchal how did we look at desire and not see it as this connection to god but something that needed to be privatized between you and your spouse after a you know marriage or whatever like i just don't get like how our entire universal existence in terms of religion became so closed and protected and private and safe. Okay, so I'm going to adjust my glasses and walk you through 2,000 years of history. Okay, so the Greco-Roman culture was extremely patriarchal, capitalistic, imperial, and imperialist. It wasn't white supremacist yet because they they but they were Romanist in terms of like if you're Roman you're good and if you're not Roman there's you're bad. But they were nice because they wanted to make everyone Roman by invading them, and so they um, that was the the place where Christianity is born, right? And if we read the early writings of these Christians and the way that Christians were critiqued by the Romans. Christians were a radical anti-Roman movement that was anti-patriarchy, anti-capitalism, anti-colonialism. They wanted to dismantle all of these systems and live outside of them. They were predominantly critiqued for getting rid of all their things, living in communes, Mm -hmm. women not dressing like women. You can't distinguish men from women was one of the critiques that they had because all the women cut their hair and dressed like men. That... Um, they were, it was a foolish religion led by women and where women would drink in the morning because they would take the Eucharist in the morning mm-hmm. and most traditions in, in Rome were done in the evening. So drinking in the morning was very taboo. So that was the other wrong thing with them. They thought all Christians were witches, um, very anti-cultural. In order to survive in that space, there was there we have various writings. You can see this in some of St. Paul's writings. Um, and you can see it in some of Peter's writings as well, where there was a, but also in other, um, there's a guy, dude named Justin Martyr, who was a writer. He, there's a lot of writing about like encouraging Christians to conform to Roman culture. Mm-hmm. Um, wives submit to your husbands is one of it, is often an example of that. Although there's multiple different interpretations of that that I won't get into. But that's an example often used to argue that Paul is not saying women, because God wants you to submit to your husbands, you should submit to your husbands, but because like you not, you pushing against your pagan husbands, because they were very often pagan men. Oh, I shouldn't say pagan, Roman religion men. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, it was like they didn't want to listen to them because they weren't Christians. And him, yeah. Paul is saying, no, listen to them. We need to not be upsetting the system, the status quo, because if you do that, you're actually risking your life because Mm -hmm. Christians are being killed. So as Christianity became more accepted within society, the blending of what was socially appropriate for Christians, this radicalness of Christians, started breaking away. And so people started becoming Christian but still participating in Roman culture Mm -hmm. and not doing that. And so I would say that that's the beginning of the end. So this is around around the t- like a little bit pre-Constantine, but around Constantine as well. Particularly when Christians become then when Christianity becomes legal. So mm-hmm. Peter and Paul are writing at the end. Um, well, 
there we the writings we have of Peter and Paul are at the end of the first of the first century and then to the second and the third century you're starting to see a lot more conformity you're also seeing a lot of blending of Roman religion and Christianity so these ideas of like Persephone and the Aleutian mysteries and these um the ideas of the Trinity starting to become come together at, and, and mirroring some of the cosmologies of Juno and Jupiter and Apollo we're seeing all sorts of like meshing coming together so that image Uh of the white dude with the beard in in a white robe that's an image of jupiter that carried in to become the image of god all this type of stuff starts happening so patriarchy was there yeah christianity showed up and Mm -hmm. started participating in the game then you also have writings like the writings of saint augustine who really began the huge mess up because he started being the one that was writing this this shit down and mm-hmm. saying, like, looking at uh, Socrates and Plato's understanding of what it means to be a woman and saying, oh, no, that's right. Women are badly formed men. Women um, don't, uteruses don't stay stuck in their bodies. And, like, kind of that becomes part of, like, church doctrine, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> Even though we know that's not true, he says, like, a lot of crazy <laughs> things about women. <laughs> And he also like reimagines the creation narrative because Augustine's creation narrative doesn't follow what the Bible says. It actually, he has this whole thing about like Adam and Eve like never had sex. Like they, they would have made babies through like osmosis. Oh wow. And like, but because of the fall, that's when they started like, ha- like that's when sex became penetrative and like uh-huh. thinks the only reason sex can be redeemed if it's done to make a baby a lot of really weird things that are not are not in the Bible and just a reflection of Greco-Roman understandings of life. Mm-hmm. And I think as that becomes the norm and we're now around, this has been 500 years of Christianity, converting to Christianity means converting to pa- patriarchy as well. And it starts to flip the narrative because yeah. men are now the ones that are pre- predominantly in charge. Mm-hmm. And so those women druids who were leading, who were the medicine women and were the ones you go, those wise women crones could not be the ones that the people were going to. You now have to go to your priest. And she didn't go anywhere. People yeah. still were going to her. Mm-hmm. But, um, but in terms of their access to God, it becomes the priest and not the woman. And that's... So. I think there's a lot more to go into than the Protestant Reformation happens. That fucks up all sorts of shit. Like, oh, it continues. It's so crazy. We just create more and more problems with it. The more (laughs) we try to play with the patriarchal goop and make Mm -hmm. it look like a pretty house, we just create more things. So what I talk about is like, we need to create a new paradigm. We need to shift this narrative. We -hmm. cannot use the old molds, the old clays, and try to rebuild something new. Because no. it's it's it was once beautiful porcelain, but there's a lot of shit in it now. Yeah. So like, we need to create new paradigms that are actually liberatory instead of oppressive. That's so crazy. It's just mind blowing. Like it, I mean, just the way society has unfolded and the things we've learned and how stuff has been twisted and 
you know, centuries of people have continued with certain ideologies that aren't even really real. And it's it's just wild. And really, at the end of the day, it just creates so much more divide between people and frustration and angst and like a lot of just tension as a whole, uh, which we still see today in 2021. The, area, yeah. the ways in which religion has cause even more discrimination against certain types of people or just content ruins families you know think of like the young child today that grows up with you know confusing gender identity or sexuality that's different than the typical hetero like the ways in which that dynamic between their families can be just exploded and cause years of adulthood of angst and confusion and depression and mental health issues it's just wild right and God, whoever God is, didn't want that. <laughs> no. That's no. not the design. Um, the design is for love, which I think has yeah. just been my consistent thread throughout my life. It's yeah. like, if this is love, then it works. If it's, if it's not love, then it's not God. Yeah. Wow. Well, so I know that you have your own community, which you call the Erotic mm-hmm. Convent. Uh, can yeah. you tell us more about that? Yes. So the Erotic Convent. I created this community for women who are experiencing this this kind of break that we've been talking about. And mm-hmm. it's this dip where they know they don't want to go back to what they came from, but they're not entirely sure where to go next. So they feel the call of the divine feminine. They followed the divine feminine out of patriarchal religion, whatever that looked like. And now they're searching They're searching for what liberating spirituality actually looks like. They want to build those new paradigms. So in the erotic convent, we work to dismantle the dogma that even though we don't think it anymore, we still might operate with it Mm -hmm. and dismantle the patriarchal patriarchy that we still participate in because Theology can be patriarchal, but that influences the culture that we live in as well and influences the way we understand women, whether we're going to church on Sundays or not. Mm -hmm. So how do we dismantle the patriarchy that we've internalized in ourselves and also build an understanding of the divine that's actually liberating instead of oppressive and keeps Mm -hmm. us boxed in? We break out of what is the right thing to do and step into what is the wise thing to do. And where is wisdom calling us? Mm-hmm. So that's what we do. And it includes, I have a library full of tons of reference books that they can do from like the super nerdy high theological texts to the much more easier to read texts that are, yeah, just easier. You can listen to them in your car while you drive. Mm-hmm. Or, um, and I have, I have daily check-ins or not daily, weekly check-ins where I just hop on a video and I like encourage them there's homework assignments each month that they go through we gather once a month as a sisterhood gathering to talk about our experiences and get our assignments and share what we've accomplished there's master classes in there focused on feminist theology women of church history I also teach dry things like exegesis I shouldn't call it dry juicy things like biblical interpretation how do you read Mm -hmm. an ancient text how do you understand historical context for things because there's a lot of people right now who are talking not from a historical context about a lot of things Mm -hmm. so how can you like listen to them be like oh that's a really wise thing but I know you're incorrect about x y and z and know what to take that's useful and what isn't yeah 
I teach, um, I also have ch- challenges in there to like to connect to the divine feminine within yourself and practices and tools that are targeted mm-hmm. towards building our own spirituality. Because the last mm-hmm. thing I want to be is a guru. I yeah. want the women in this community to become their own gurus, to learn to trust themselves and not look mm-hmm. for someone outside to tell them who God is. Yeah. Wow. So how do you find your community or your clientele or the people who come to you for to use you as a resource and take your courses and join your community? Like, how do you even discover that person out in the world? They find me. So I have I have a social media presence Mm -hmm. and I talk on social media. I don't I don't I think I'm very similar to a lot of other people who have programs. I talk about Mm -hmm. my programs and things like that. Um, I have a discovery call that you can book with me. And a lot of women find me by clicking to schedule a discovery call with me. And then I talk to them about what I'm doing and they join. And it goes from there. Yeah. Or they don't. But yeah, cool. So um, most of the women that are in the convent found me through some type of finding me online. Mm -hmm. Um, That's pretty much they find me. So I'm not often going out and hunting for women. Yeah. Um, I sold Mary Kay. I've done the whole like direct sales. I'm Uh not very excited about hunting down clients. Um, But I am really excited to find women who are excited about this work because those are also the women who are going to stick with it Mm -hmm. and who are going to dive in. Yeah. And I feel like this woman is looking for you, literally. Mm. They're probably already in their lives knowing that they need assistance or they need more resources or they need that person that can guide them down this path that they're either hesitant to take or they just don't know where to start. And so they're probably already on this hunt within themselves to like find help in a sense. And then they yeah. then just the universe does this amazing connection and boom, here we are. <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah, that's what that's I was amazing. doing, right? Mm-hmm. I was I was hunting for the answers as well. And that's how I yeah. found my teachers. So so yeah. Do you actually do like one one on one coaching as well? Yes. Okay. Um, I do. I don't have those posted, but for people mm-hmm. who are interested in one on one coaching, that's something we set up in your discovery mm-hmm. call. Yeah. Just because I liked if you if there is reasons why we specifically need that or why some of my programs won't fit your needs, mm-hmm. um, we can do that and I, we discuss prices and things like that then, so we can make it work. Yeah. So like, if you're able to like give more information on this, like, what kind of like, what kind of things do you see that your community is really coming to you for? Like, are there any specific areas, whether it's specifically their struggles with their own feminine sexuality, or maybe they just need more understanding of like how to live their best authentic female life while being like a dedicated follower of God? Like, do you happen to notice like any certain areas that are most prominent in Mm -hmm. um, your audience and what they're looking for more assistance in? Well, most of, yeah, most of the women that I work with, if they do still consider themselves Christians, mm-hmm. it's definitely, they're being a good follower of God, whatever that, they don't really care about what that means anymore. Yeah. They're like, I'm going to, I'm going to follow what feels right and what's yeah. what I'm looking at right here and not follow whatever other people think is good. I think there's a lot of questions about sexuality. And I would also say it's about trust, trusting themselves mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of what patriarchal theology does is teaches us that we can't trust ourselves. 
We need yeah. to trust a male authority to tell us what to do. So I think that that happens to a lot of men who are leaving these uh, dogmatic religions. They also mm-hmm. have trouble t- trusting themselves. But women don't even know if they're lovable because they've been told so much that they're like the emblem of sin in the world. So, yeah, we deal a lot of that, just learning mm-hmm. to love yourself again, learning mm-hmm. to trust yourself, um, to see your, see seeing yourself as sexy as a good thing, not mm-hmm. as a selfish thing, that that moving your hips is 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 good and yeah. not a source of evil sin and temptation to the men around you that you can wear whatever the fuck you want that you can say whatever you want that you can be whoever you want to be um yeah so long as it is not harming the rights of other yeah, people of go live yeah that's amazing yeah Gosh, it sounds incredible. And so is this, is your community something that you offer year round or there's just certain times that it becomes open and then you sign up and join? Like how can the listener now who's totally interested in this and wants, this is like exactly what they've been looking for and they're like, oh my God, I found you. How can they uh, participate or sign up or just be a part of the community? Yeah, it's on my website. So if you go to lauriekimmerly.com backslash join the erotic convent, I think there's dashes in between that. Go to lauriekimmerly.com and click where it says join the erotic convent. And you can see all the information. You can also go on my Instagram. There's a link there too um, to, to get more information. Um, yeah. And that's how you do it. The registration is still open. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be open for about another month and then it'll be closing. So uh, if it is closed when this airs. I'm not sure when it will. Send me a message. And I'll, okay. And, 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 you know, Will, if you're listening to this and it's closed and you want to join, message mm-hmm. me and tell me you heard about it on this podcast and we'll talk. Awesome. Because I don't want you to get stuck out of the door just because you didn't hear about it yet. So. Yeah, totally. Cool. So what are you planning to do once you get to Italy? I know you said you had plans to start your own community there of women. What does that look like for you? So what's going to be in Italy is going to be a sacred mother, mother's pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to just be with women in Italy. It's going to be women who are in the erotic convent are going to have the opportunity to come with me for a two-week trip to Italy. We're going to start in Rome. This is my dream. So I'm just going to paint the dream okay. for you. Yes, I have not yes. planned this in Italy yet at all. So <laughs> my dream is that we're going to go to the catacombs of St. Priscilla Start there. There's some really cool art there. We're going to eat really good food. We're going to gather in my dream place, which I have not found yet, but it exists, uh-huh. where it's going to be like, I'm, I'm just dreaming of like getting an Airbnb with like a gorgeous dining room table where we can all gather and like eat really good food and like yes. have classes. And we're going to go visit temples we're going to go, there's a couple um, tombs that I really want to visit with women because they have some really important images of from like two, 200 AD that like show this intersection of Greco-Roman religion that was happening. And like also women, women were the, the ones who were dealt with death. They buried yeah. people most often. Uh-huh. And so like there's a lot we can learn about women based upon the graves. So we're going to take a look at the graves and like explore that. We're going to go down to Benevento and we're going to explore that area and we're going to look at some of the Black Madonnas in that area and look at some of the ways that Mary is honored in those spaces. Mm-hmm. And then also hopefully talk about a lot of saints and, um, 
and then go down to Pompeii and and look at some of the cool things that are in Pompeii, like Isis's temple and the temple to Juno and some other cool stuff like that. So that's the plan. It's going to be a two-week adventure. That sounds like so much fun. Um, that's amazing. That I feel like Italy is just such like a incredible place of just like not only history but all this like beauty there and just the culture and the food and like even like even today like the family dynamics between the modern day Italian family like I remember even just when the pandemic was happening and Italy got hit so hard it was partly because they're so family oriented like always spending time as one big group of all ages and Unfortunately, that led to quicker spread uh, across the entire area. But like, I just feel like it's such a beautiful, rich place of just so much love and knowledge and history and education. There's so much learning about society and just human beings f- across all centuries um, that that lives there. It's just, it's definitely on one of my places I would love to visit. I had a friend once that studied abroad there, and she just had the time of her life and. Oh, it sounds like just a dream. This is an incredible dream for you. I'm I I may or may not have to participate Ooh, <laughs> when the that. world when the world reopens and you're know, able right? to pursue yeah, pursue it. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. It was supposed to be this summer, but obviously Yeah. The goddess had different plans, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, no, I go to Italy. Everyone needs to go to Italy. Yeah. I think it's been one of the most spiritual places I've been. Yeah. So it's cool. Good. Cool. Um, Well, I wanted to do just a little advice corner. And, you know, one of the things I'm curious about is, you know, what kind of advice would you have given to your childhood self? Or like if you're looking back on that young you, like what would have been something that you would have told that young girl um, so that she could kind of navigate through her adulthood following her divine femininity? I would have told, I took a lot of time thinking about this because one of my biggest fears is if I were to go back in time and give myself any advice, then I would do something different and then I Mm -hmm. wouldn't be living the life I'm living right now. Totally, right? And that would be terrible. Yeah. Uh, Yes. Like if somebody told, if I came back in time and I saw myself like right before my wedding, I would like shut up and walk the other way. (laughs) (laughs) Like I'm not going to mess yeah. this at all yeah because life is too good right now um I mm, so I think what I concluded I would tell myself mm-hmm. was trust the fog that when it doesn't make any sense that's okay yeah just be okay with sitting in the fog mm-hmm. because that is going to be a great great teacher for you the fog totally yeah you know, one time, actually just recently, I was listening to a podcast um, and I heard the woman that was being interviewed say this remarkable quote about how so often us as women today put very successful women on this pedestal of like, you're so successful. I'm going to glorify you because you lived your best life and you reached all your dreams and goals and you did it. And I'm so proud of you. Woohoo. Which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. But in that perspective, we fail to recognize the entire story that woman lived of hardship and failures and, you know, trauma and just like 
growth and learnings that she had to go through before she could ever get to the successful place. And it's like people are always so quick to look at the beautiful part of someone's life. But the beautiful part isn't what this lady said, quote, the meat and potatoes to this woman's story, you know, and the meat and potatoes had to come first before you can get to like the dessert. This is how she like told this um, on her podcast episode. But I and it's true. I mean, I I that's kind of what I try to do in my own podcast when I talk about women's stories throughout history that like, you know, the what they've gone through their entire life to get to the point that they got to later down the road is what we need to really be celebrating and thinking about and analyzing and connecting to because so often we do struggle in life and we get to parts of our own lives where we're just it's hard and you're like damn like what the hell like this is this sucks i'm struggling i'm sad i'm hurt i feel lost i don't know where to go And sometimes that is the part that needs to be happening to create that like motivation or to get you to a place of rock bottom. So there's only going up. Um, And it's true. You know, when I just like you said, you know, when you think back on your young self, you don't want to change anything because all of that had to happen for you to be living your best nomadic life right now in freaking Puerto Rico. Like, I totally agree. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah. So one of the stories I tell about my divorce is this moment where I was, um, you know, it's such, it's, it wasn't done on purpose, but right after my ex moved out, I had got my new phone and I ran an update and I guess for whatever reason, since we were on the cloud, on the cloud together, when I ran the update, it was his version of his backup which included mm-hmm. all of his dating apps that he had just downloaded. Oh, my God. <laughs> so there I was in, like, sweatpants and no makeup, like, puffy probably from tears, like, eat bag of Dor- bags of Doritos all around me, like, holding Doritos and just, like, crying into my Doritos. Ugh. And, like, what a horrible moment, right? Yeah. But if I didn't have that then I would not be sitting here right now. Yeah. And so what I want more women to do and what I would want to encourage myself to do is like lo- love, love your fucking soggy Doritos. Yeah. Like love them because yep. they, are, they are everything you need in order to be able to, be, to resurrect. Mm-hmm. You Absolutely. You know, talking about that life, death, and resurrection, like that is, that is what we need. We need mm-hmm. those dark that darkness. Yeah. So. And we also need to debunk this feeling of guilt for having gone through the darkness. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. Because the we guilt, also the shame. We try to skip over it so often. Mm-hmm. So many people would say to me, you know, in in a and soon you're gonna find someone and it's going to be amazing and wonderful. And it's true, but at the same time, like I needed to be brokenhearted crying on the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I needed that in order to even be able to experience what I have right now. And I'm with an incredible dude right now. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't even be worthy of someone that amazing if I hadn't gone through that trial. Totally. Because I needed to like learn to love myself in ways that yeah. like I was not doing back then. Uh-huh. So yeah, we need yeah, we need more soggy Doritos in our- or we need to love our soggy Doritos. Totally. I always tell my own boyfriend, I'm like 
you should be so grateful that you met Melissa post-therapy and not pre-therapy because pre-therapy, it I would have been such a nightmare of a human being. I would have destroyed your life. Like, I would have screwed everything up. But you met me post-therapy and, like, I mean, I'm still kind of wild, but, like, you got the very healed version of Melissa, and I'm so thankful for that because I love you and I want you in my life, and I'm just so happy that the universe brought you to a place in my oh my life where I was a much better version than I had been for a very long period of time. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I dated some really good guys who I was not ready for because I was needed to go through quite a bit more therapy. Totally. Which it's okay. That's it's it's so good. That's part of the story. It's so good. Yeah, Yeah. it is. Um, Okay. Well, I would love to ask you, what does sisterhood mean to you? Which I know it means everything to you, but in your words, what does it mean? Sisterhood means the connection that all women, and when I say women, I mean anyone who identifies as a woman, Mm -hmm. feels to other women currently. And women of, and our ancestors. Mm -hmm. And when I say ancestors, I mean the women that I'm related to from 2,000, 3,000 years ago and the women I'm not. Mm -hmm. So sisterhood is seeing, there's a, there's a viral TikTok that I, well, maybe it's not viral, but this woman sees another woman having a weird guy talk to her and Mm -hmm. she runs across the street and grabs her and is like, do you need a ride home? And like drives her home. That's sisterhood. Totally. Sisterhood is honoring the traditions of our great, 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 great grandmothers and not calling it old wives tales or superstitions, Mm -hmm. but honoring it as real legitimate beliefs in the same way that you would respect any other institutional, patriarchal, man-driven belief system. Mm -hmm. Sisterhood is about seeing ways that we can support other women and using our power and our privilege, whatever that means, to be mm-hmm. able to make sure that all women are present at the table. Uh, yep. And that also means deconstructing our own internalized racism, homophobia, mm-hmm. patriarchy, so that we can also be inclusive to other women as well. Yes. Yeah. I love it. It's beautiful. Thank you. Absolutely perfect. <laughs> so I didn't plan on asking you this, but after our conversation, I know that you ha- must have a fantastic recommendation for me. So as you know, I in one other segment of my podcast, I researched the lives of women throughout history and they aren't all um, human lives. Like I've done people who I've like, for instance, we've covered Lilith. I've covered a traditional ghost in Mexican folklore, like lots of different types of females, so to speak. Um, Is there any buddy in particular that comes to mind that you think is somebody I should absolutely research and cover their life on this podcast? Like whether it's somebody that you've learned about through your own religious studies or a goddess that you just admire, like any any name in particular that comes to mind? Have you done anything on the Black Madonna? No. Yeah, look at the Black Madonna. And there's a lot okay. of really cool people that I can, I can message you. There's a lot of really mm-hmm. cool people doing research on her that could probably talk to you for a while about it and they're really amazing but yeah the black madonna i think is something that we do not understand Uh and she is a part of our if if you are a european person from southern Mm -hmm. and your ancestors are from southern europe especially although she's also in mexico and she's also in Mm -hmm. africa of course you need to understand the black madonna she's incredible cool 
Cool. I won't I won't give anything away. Yeah. Okay, perfect. <laughs> awesome. Well, now is the time. Tell all of our listeners how they can stay in touch with you, how they can connect online. I know you already provided your website, but any other relevant information or areas in which they can find more about you, read more about you, or connect with you? Yes. I'm at Lori Kimmerly everywhere. So uh, I'm not on Twitter, or if I am, I've like maybe tweeted once three years ago. I know, ago. me too. I can't Twitter. <laughs> but I'm very active on Instagram. I'm trying to be more active on TikTok. Um, mm-hmm. You can find, join, if you're interested in joining uh, stuff and you have questions, you can uh, look up, look me up on at my website, www.lauriekimmerly.com. You can also join my Facebook group, Women in mm-hmm. Spiritual Deconstruction and Reconstruction. Cool. And we just talk about the divine feminine in there and yeah that's that's where you can find me so mostly on instagram though yeah awesome well thank you so much this has been absolutely fascinating just totally mind-blowing and it's just it's the absolute perfect type of conversation that I want to have on this podcast specifically because it's so important and these kind of perspectives are exactly what I'm trying to capture from women around the world and um, I know that we have quite a few listeners some that I've already spoken to personally that have also left their particular religious organizations that they were raised in because they felt you know, they didn't belong there and that they needed to explore other perspectives and ideologies. And so I have no doubt that this conversation is going to connect with so many people. And I really hope they reach out to you and just say hello, because you're amazing. And I'm just super grateful that you're here and that you reached out and we got to do this. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I had a blast. Whoa, that was incredible totally mind-blowing so informative i really hope that you enjoyed that and of course if you did make sure to leave me a five-star review on apple podcasts and be sure to subscribe to the show so that you can get brand new episodes straight to your phone the minute that they drop Don't forget, I am doing a super fun freebie giveaway to all of my new newsletter subscribers. So head to my website, mimosasisterhood.com and subscribe to the newsletter through the pop-up on the website. And I will send you a super cute postcard and some stickers straight to your home. All right, guys. Well, thank you again for tuning in. I love you all more than you could ever know. And I will see you next week. Bye.